Hello everybody, Brett Stewart here. I want to put an announcement in your feed here before this episode of Movie Go Round to first of all apologize that it's a couple days late. We don't want to get in the habit of doing that. We want you to have episodes every Saturday, which is also why you can rest assured that you are going to get an episode this coming Saturday as well. So you're going to get two episodes this week. But the reason we did not release this last weekend was because we were going to release an episode for The Host, the 2006 monster film and we recorded it and if I might say so myself it was a really good episode but the technology gods were not shining upon us that day uh, something in the compression was lost or in the codec of audio and we ran into a whole slew of issues believe me it did not sound particularly good but we record way in advance so instead we have pushed a different around the world segment to come out in your feed right now that is for the film the harder they come now, if you watch the host, first of all, good for you. I can tell you right now that we pretty much all agree that it's a great film in varying capacities. But if you want to watch The Harder They Come, you can go ahead and do that on Amazon Video right now. So it is there for free if you are a Prime subscriber. And of course, you're going to be able to follow along moving forward. The next episode, Dunstan checks in due out Saturday. Thanks, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Movie Go Round, the film show where we discuss a new film every single week based on a five-week schedule that rotates with all sorts of different themes. This week's theme is Around the World. Ugh, I love our music. It's so great. All right. Joining me, as always, my two superb, wonderful, exceptional co-hosts. We've been together for so long, and I am always so glad every week to do these shows with them. David Luzader, how are you doing this fine evening? Oh, I am doing well. I'm curious to see how our discussion of this movie is going to uh, happen, because <laughs> this is a movie that I never in my life would have watched about this podcast, so... It'll be interesting. Good. I'm glad that I did to you what Nicole did to, I think, both of us last week. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of the great part of having this rotating theme. And, of course, Nicole Davis did that to us last week. Nicole, how are you? Uh, feeling roughly like I'm back in high school, standing in front of the mirror in the locker room, trying to just, you know, pull my hair into straight bangs while completely engulfed in a cloud of Aquanet and trying to breathe and it's not working too well. Um, so other than that, I'm good. Okay. That's a vivid portrait. Uh, yeah. Well, this week, uh, again, the theme is around the world. That means we are picking an international film to break us out of our bubble of watching a lot of American films, especially when we were doing Geek Cinema Society. That was about 90% of what we did. So it's great to do this uh, every <laughs> single five weeks. It's all going to change. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this time, it was my turn to pick it. Which is funny because I don't really watch as much in, you know, international cinema as either of my two co-hosts. But uh, I decided that I would slip in a classic here that is a, a, a music classic as well as a film classic. And that is The Harder They Come, released in 1972. I'm going to read a brief description of it. I'm going to explain why I picked it. And then I'm going to hand it off to my two co-hosts, get their thoughts on it. And we will go from there. 
Uh, Ivanhoe Martin, played by Jimmy Cliff, arrives in Kingston, Jamaica, looking for work, and after some initial struggles, lands Ivanhoe? a recording contract. Sorry, what? Ivanhoe? It is Ivanhoe. Is yeah. it Ivanhoe? He's called Ivanhoe most of the movie, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it anyway. is. That's actually his full name, because remember when they have him yep. write his name? Anyway, uh, he records his first song, The Harder They Come, as a reggae singer when he gets a recording contract. But after a bitter dispute with a manipulative producer named Hilton, he soon finds himself resorting to petty crime in order to pay the bills. He deals marijuana, kills some abusive cops, and earns local folk hero status. Meanwhile, though, his record is topping the charts. And you hear it quite a bit, because, of course, the entire movie's soundtrack is done by Jimmy Cliff, the actor who plays... Ivan Ho, Ivan Ho, Martin. <laughs> uh, we're just going to call him Ivan because that's what they call him for the entire movie. But that is his full name if you want to know it. Uh, this is a film Nicole had seen before recently, rather, right? Yes, I had. I actually got this film as a gift last Christmas and watched it around the beginning of the summer. So, and you it was fell asleep. Interesting correct? to watch it again. <laughs> It, this is this a film that you fell asleep during, I believe, or was not? It didn't really click I, the first I time? I did the first time. It was not optimum viewing conditions for this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, and uh, Brett said, I think, rightly, that you, you kind of need to be in the right mindset to watch this movie, or at least it's very helpful to be mm-hmm. in the right mindset to watch this movie. Um I, I'm not sure how to phrase what that mindset is, except just kind of like open and accepting and cool with the fact that it's obviously made very inexpensively uh, with non-professional actors, and you just you you just got to ride with it, right? Uh, and this time was more successful for you. You think you got a lot yes. more out of it? Yes, definitely. It's a film that, uh, it's the first English language film in the U.S. that required subtitles once they released it. And actually, if you watch it digitally, you can include more subtitles on like Amazon Video and whatnot. And that is recommended. uh, Because again, even though they're speaking a form of English, it's that Jamaican Creole mix that is uh, very hard to understand. Um, And there are times, too, where they're very obviously speaking that Creole that should have subtitles, and they just don't. And they just don't, right. And that's what that adding those extras kind of helps with. Uh, I'm not sure that's 100% the case. I think sometimes it's just a very thick accent, because I was able to to follow along with most of it, but there are a few times, uh, particularly Pedro, mm -hmm. slips into that real Creole... Part of the time. I get what happened in the movie. It's not, you know, I I wasn't missing major plot elements. Uh, I would not call the acting in this movie anything to write home about. Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. The merit (laughs) of this film, and first of all, as as David's kind of alluding to, this is the first time that David had, had seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and really, the reason this film has merit, and the reason I picked it, is because it is a it is a classic film from the Caribbean. That really, it was the first feature film to come out of Jamaica. It was the first Jamaican film to have crossover success later in the U.S. It was the first major Jamaican album, first reggae album to really have success. You know, uh, again in the U.S. Um, and it's kind of a classic in that sense because 
nothing had been done like that before. And a lot of the themes in it, even though they're not particularly well acted and, uh, you know, deal with Jamaican poverty and drugs and the strife within their local politics, which was rampant uh, during Mm -hmm. this time, 1972, all the way into the 80s and 90s. Uh, It deals with a lot of societal issues of Jamaican culture. And it doesn't shy away from them. It shows you that this is what the slums are like. This is what people were feeling like. This is how they're going to talk. Uh, As I said to Nicole in our pre-show, at no point in making this film did anyone say, what if the Americans can't understand it? Because it's not about the Americans. Right. And, uh, And I think the idea that Jamaican people could go to the movies, and this was a massive hit in Jamaica, and see people on the screen that looked like them, you know, yeah, that that's one thing that, um, I was reading up about. That was a huge thing about it, uh, was why this movie was so popular there. And I guess it's actually been cited in like some like books, uh, is that, yeah, they think these, these young Jamaican people could go and see themselves on the screen in, in a way. And it's, it's so interesting because in that regard, I had difficulty connecting with it at times um like especially with how quickly the character turns to murder (laughs) yes (laughs) that like i I, and and like i i kind of get like the sense of like that's kind of just like the feeling like you're literally fighting for everything that you have to the point where you might have to stab somebody and I guess like I've never, you know, had to experience that in my life. So it's just like just like how quickly he grabs a knife in this one struggle. I'm like, whoa, we're going there real quick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, the punishment is something that you probably wouldn't receive here in the U.S. They just go outside and lash him. Yeah. Uh, and and Good this was caning. this was pre yeah. music history. This was pre Bob Marley, you know, way pre Bob Marley, way pre the Whalers, which are obviously the most popular reggae group to cross that boundary into u.s culture uh but when you listen to the lyrics of these songs uh the harder they come and many rivers to cross and uh you hear songs that are essentially civil rights songs and i think that's what finally made me connect with reggae was that i never liked reggae until i saw the harder they come and it was because i looked at this music and i went and listened to it afterward and I said, like, wow, this is just, like, blowing in the wind and the times they are changing, but for Jamaican culture, you know, uh, many rivers to cross, yeah. but so hard to find. I just need to have my faith and go on over, and there's gospel in there, and there's civil rights in there, where it's, like, the harder they come and the harder they fall, and, you know, they're gonna the oppressors are going to try to bring me down, try to bring me underground. I'd rather be a free man in my grave than living as a slave. Those are all lyrics pulled straight out of the 1960s civil rights movement, and even before that. So that is what connected me to that stuff and later that's what bob marley you know championed so uh, as an entry to reggae as a music genre i think this movie is pretty good at that um and also one thing i want to talk about and we'll get to it a little bit later is the parallel between getting started in jamaica and getting started in the u.s but i do want to hand it over to david first to talk about the cast they're not professional actors and nicole was asking in our docket how this helps and hurts the movie i'm curious to you as someone who had never seen it before what did you think of the acting Uh, the acting is not good like let's just be straightforward there's times where the acting is is not good and Mm -hmm. that's okay um because there is so much context to this movie that i think is important to understand um you, you know it was made by local people 
who were just doing their like making the best film they could. They really are. You don't. This isn't the room uh, from Jamaica. Like this is people <laughs> making the best movie that they can, uh, and the, the acting's not great, but it does, I think, give sort of a, an authenticity to the film. Uh, I think like if this movie was made like a version of this movie was made like in America at the time, we'd be laughing at it now because like, Oh, just like, you know, the, the film industry in the the seventies was producing some like really great stuff. But for this to come out of like, come out of Jamaica, you know, they did it and they made the best movie that they could and all the power to them in the world. What do you think, Nicole, for the acting in this film? I, I think Cliff is, is decent. I think he's one of the better actors in it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he was a musician first, you know, Mm -hmm. um, this was, this movie was made by, um, you know, a man who used to make programming for the BBC. Um, and he's actually a white Jamaican, uh, Perry Hansel, excuse me, um, who directed and co-wrote this movie, um, and he, you know, he needed to make this on the cheap. Mm-hmm. So he found, he wanted it to be about a guy trying to break into the, the record industry. And I guess he went to um, Island Records and kind of looked through their stuff and found an album cover, album cover with Jimmy Cliff on it. And said, you know, the front of it, he kind of looked like an angel and... He turned it over and he was in profile and he looked a lot, you know, says he thought he looked a lot more rough and um, tougher and thought, well, you know, if this guy can look different just going from front view to side view, how dynamic might he be in front of the camera? And, you know, I think Jimmy Cliff's got a, he's got a natural charisma um, that they're working with. He's not, he doesn't deliver it smoothly, but I think... They got around some of the, they got around some of that by letting, um, letting the the performers improvise a little bit. They're like, you know, this is where we want the scene to go. This is the sort of exchange I want you to have with him. Um, you know, we've got this dialogue written, but you can kind of tweak it a little bit to whatever feels more natural. So, I mean, you get very naturalistic performances, and while they're they're not smooth. They're also not as awkward as they could be from non-actors. Um, I think because the director made them as comfortable as possible in front of the camera and you get this, you know, this raw energy from a lot of their performers, you know, the guy playing Jose, uh, Jimmy Cliff himself, absolutely a hundred percent. Hold on. I got to get his name. Uh, the guy who plays Hilton, Bobby Charlton, yes, um, is fantastic. He's a natural. You know, I I thought that he was probably a professional actor that they brought in, but apparently not. <laughs> you know, uh, he's just some dude who they put him in front of the camera, and it's like, oh yeah, no, we're casting him. So, um, you know, you d- you discover. You know, there's a discovery of talent here, and there's just this tremendous, um, 
you know, rawness to it. It's it's not polished. The editing takes some getting used to. It, but it is, you know, there's definitely something to it. It's There's a vibrancy to it. You know, there's an atmosphere to it that I think is kind of reflective to the Caribbean. I've been to the Caribbean a couple of times and it's, you know, when I was there, it was, it's hot and it's humid and the air seems a little thicker. And so colors seem a little stronger. Uh, the sun is shines more strongly there. It's, and I think that's kind of reflected here. Uh, largely in the, uh, Im- the amateur yet quaint cinematography, if you want to call it cinematography <laughs> on the, the super 16, uh, kind of looks great at times. Like there's times where it looks bad. There are times when it looks like a student film, but there are also well, times four different they're... cinematographers. Wow. Well, yeah. when they're when they're like playing in the in the in the water and stuff when he's about to try to escape to Cuba, and there's times where he's you know uh, on the bike and it cuts wide to these big shots of these Jamaican slums, and it, it, oh, there, yeah. there's beauty to this film, uh, even if it was very amateur. Um, and I, for me, I get the impression with the actors that they weren't really necessarily given a script and more of just an explanation of the plot, and that's kind of just where they went with it. Um, because it feels very natural, even though they're not actually actors. You're absolutely right, Nicole. And you talked about, you know, uh, like this Jamaican artist trying to break into the music scene, which is what the film starts off as being before it turns kind of into like a cop, you know, robber chase. Uh, and there's an interesting historical parallel there between uh, Jamaican artists and early black artists in America, where when when Jimmy Cliff's character, Ivan, goes to record this music, he knows he has a great song, he wants to make a lot of money from it, he wants to get royalties from it, and he goes in and he records a song, and this guy immediately tries to screw him. He just says, hey, I'm going to give you 20 bucks and uh, no royalties, and you're going to walk away from this. Cliff's unhappy with that and goes elsewhere and tries to hawk the record on his own. Can't do it because no one in town will play the record without going through Hilton, which is the record producer. And eventually he has to take the money. And if he wanted to continue making music and hadn't, you know, killed cops, he would have had to do that because that is so akin to early black artists. Early black artists would go down to uh, chess records and, uh, and, you know, not necessarily, yes, stacks too, to an extent, and they'd go down to these record labels, uh, and they'd record a great song, get no royalties from it, get paid, you know, 10 bucks and a bottle of Jack. Oh, and they then, got screwed. And then they'd move on Big and do the time. next song. So these, these amazing people in our, in our history that we love nowadays in the blues community, all the way from Robert Johnson to Howlin' Wolf, everywhere from the late 20s to the mid-50s, we're just getting screwed on royalties and there's, getting screwed on people taking their songs. There's a great joke from John Mulaney where he's just kind of explaining how uh, it, it, kind of going through life, he's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm bright and like, I'm, I'm young and dumb and bright. You want to give me a whole $5 for all my songs, Mr. Barry Gordy? Where do I sign? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, that's the crazy thing about Barry Gordy is because, you know, of course, Barry Gordy was of Motown and he pulled kids out of the slums in Detroit yep. and he, and he spruced them up. He taught them how to dance. He put them in good costumes. They were already very talented kids. We're talking people like Stevie Wonder, people like the Jackson Five. And then he screwed them. You know, get, Barry was, was a, was a 
great great at introducing them to us, but he was really good at making sure he got his cut, and uh, yeah. that hurt a lot of people. And that that happened to you know some white artists too. You know Johnny Cash struggled with that, Bob Dylan struggled with that, but these black artists in particular uh, already in an aura uh, or in an atmosphere of of dealing with you know not being equal to the artists around them that were white. Uh, this just added another layer to that, which is which is shameful, considering that what would happen with a lot of these artists, whether it be from Barry Gordon or whether it be from uh, Chess Records, is, you know, they'd record a record, right? The black artist would record a record, and then the white artist yeah. would come in and record the song because the white it. people yeah. have, to have, to have yeah. the rights to it because they never gave the rights away. And now the white person gets the royalties. And that's what's messed up. And that is really well captured in this movie. Um, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Hilton's also another black man, but he is the head honcho on the island. If you want to make music, you got to go through him. You got to get screwed by him. And there's nowhere else to go. And that's a huge parallel to American artistry for blacks in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to point out real quick that I had no idea that Barry Gordy was still alive. Is he really? Uh, yeah, he is 87 years old. Wow. Still around. Uh, but anyway, no, that like that is really interesting. I think that's a really cool perspective that you – obviously, you know a lot more about music than yeah, – This Nicole is my thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's like, just really interesting to hear uh, how th- how that th- – those two things parallel. And you kind of got to wonder, like, what is the version of that now? with like youtube and stuff you know like because you, you know that stuff's still got a hat like still happening oh, so yeah. i'm just i'm just i'm really curious to see like how it's evolved first oh, of all i, I strongly don't want to suspect a... that the uh i i strongly suspect that it, like most of the k-pop kids are getting screwed oh, oh the sure. k-pop people you are you are owned by them you live in a compound Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. First of all, I don't, I, I accidentally said Barry Gordon. I don't want to shit on a, on a mighty fine, uh, voice actor's name. I meant Barry Gordy, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, I would argue that YouTube royalties are an extent of this nowadays. And that's not necessarily racial. Um, and, and still the hip hop industry. I mean, if you want to break out in the hip hop industry, you sign away a lot of your rights. You know, uh, there's yeah. a famous line. In Kanye West's Yeezus, that, uh, and I think Yeezus is a very interesting record where he says, you know, y'all throwing contracts at me, don't you know that N word can't read? And what he's saying is like, you all want me to sign these contracts and you want me to sign away my creative rights and sign away my music and make you a bunch of money. And you're thinking that I'm just this dumb N word who is just going to sign whatever you hand me. And, uh, that is still a, a deep systemic problem in hip hop. And that's something that people like chance, the rapper right now are trying to circum, you know, navigate by putting out their music independently. Uh, so it's, it's very alive in the hip hop community. You know, those guys have been getting screwed in the nineties forward. Uh, that's, that's a very modern example. Uh, but as we talk a little bit about more about the movie, but I think the music's very important as well because the music is an intricate part of this movie. Uh, the movie shows a lot of Jamaican poverty and Jamaican slums. Uh, Jamaica is a country that has always been and continues to be a place with massive economic divides. Uh, and it's really easy to lose track of that when you just go to the resorts and it's all pretty. And then the second you go out of the resort, it's a slum. And this movie, I think, captures that really well. 
Yeah, this was this was shot primarily in West Kingston, uh, which was the poorer end of town. Um, I mean, this was this was one of the very few movies, particularly of its time, to to show poverty. I mean, like really grinding poverty, not just you know the occasional you know American movie where you'd see like a hobo on the street on occasion, rare occasion, or you'd see, you know, people in a, a tiny, you know, kind of rundown apartment. This is people by the dozens swarming over piles of garbage, looking for anything of value or food, you know, just to make it from day to day. Mm -hmm. It reminded me in some ways of Slumdog Millionaire, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think those movies kind of parallel each other a little bit in some ways. You have not seen. You have not seen. Oh, we need to do that. We need to pick that for an international film week sometime. That is surprising that you have not seen Slumdog Night. Anyway, that like that movie also does a really good job of showing these little kids who grew up in the slums of India and really showing like you are scrapping by in every sense of the word and you're getting what you can get and you hold on to it. Uh, as much as you can uh it's yeah it's dog eat dog in a lot of ways yeah i mean there's it's very memorable to me they're you know they're shooting uh it's near the preacher's house there's all sorts of sort of shanties pasted together and and thrown up in the area and there's you know one wall or fence or something made of like corrugated tin or aluminum and there's a sign on it saying you know please don't urinate on the fence people live here and i don't think they mean you know people live in this neighborhood i think they mean people live on the other side of this sheet of corrugated aluminum Mm -hmm. so absolutely please don't do that and another aspect that this film gets into and again i appreciate that it really delves into jamaican culture because as i said at the top of the show Jamaican audiences could go into this and see something that related to their life, and I think that's really important, because in this movie, we see that they just go see American films, you know, Western gunslinger films, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, and I I think that that's very fascinating in this movie, and another facet of that is the, the religion in Jamaica. And in this movie, it shines it much more heavily on Christianity, uh, but of course, in the coming years, there would be a lot of Rastafarianism, and uh, which pulls some elements of Christianity. Uh, by the way, Rastafarianism, not just smoking pot, actually a religion. Uh, but um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's a fascinating aspect of this film. And one one thing we had in our docket here, we had something from. Oh, no, it's gone now. Nicole, no, did you I have something about religion? There was I, I thought it was interesting. There's a there are several scenes in the church. And when the the man who's known only as preacher, uh, uh Elsa's guardian, um when he's preaching and leading songs, there are these staid uh you know, Christian classic, slow moving, you know, a closer walk with the very restrained mm-hmm. and when the other guy's preaching, the alternate guy's preaching, he's people are getting down. They are getting yes. They are getting the spirit big time. They are you getting know, like Baptist Southern Church yes, dancing. Right. 
I mean, they know how to do it right. They know how to do religion <laughs> so that it's it's an experience. You know, it's not just you go and you you do your dutiful showing up and and singing and hopefully feeling closer to people. They they get into it. You know, I think that's doing it right. Yeah. Um, but you know, while they're doing this, people's emotions are getting worked up almost into this frenzy and. Elsa, you know, it's like cutting between the people and the singing and Elsa's eyes, really close up of Elsa's eyes and back around in like a cycle. And then there's these flashes of like her and Ivan naked in the water mm-hmm. making out and I'm like this. And, you know, her eyes are, are dilated and, and intense. And I think she's a, it's a combination of being... Uh, aroused but frightened by it at the same time and you know she's having these thoughts in church and let's let's not forget though that uh the preacher will pick her when she's ripe yeah and if she doesn't the bike shop owner will or if he doesn't Uh, and it's like everybody knows it but her that yes. the preacher took her in when she was a kid after her mother died and that he's he's grooming her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well bad. and I I feel so terrible for her character. She gets because at every uh, point of this movie. Yeah, at that scene what that you're talking about, Nicole, like she realizes what she wants in that moment and so she starts to pursue it with Ivan and then that just shoots her in the foot so hard throughout the next couple years of her life. Yeah, she is not better off. She can't win in this movie. She can't win. She saves with the preacher. He is he is manipulative and he is controlling her and he is in you know, she's being groomed to be a young bride. And she goes she goes with Ivan, her entire life goes to shreds because Ivan gets a little taste of what it's like to be famous, even though it's the wrong type of famous. Uh I feel so bad for her in this movie. I, I'm right with right with you there, David. Uh, she gets she gets screwed in this movie. Yeah, uh, I don't understand uh, why people, uh, the two people closest to him, who kind of like know where he's at and are suffering the most and suffering a lot, don't turn him in. I don't understand the loyalty they have to him yeah. at any point. It's uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, and 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 he gets reckless. He gets like beyond reckless. Well, there's a uh, what, what's what's the guy that has the kid? The... Uh, that's Pedro, I think, pa- who has the kid. Rupert. Pedro's mm-hmm. got the really Correct. righteous uh, giant dreads. Yeah, yeah Pedro's like son is, uh, you know, near like on death's door at times. It seems, and it seems like, hey, you know, everything's really terrible because the guy you know the location to is on the run, and you're not like giving him up, and everyone else is ready to give him up, and you're holding on to him for some misguided sense of loyalty like i I don't even get kind of the feeling of like hey we're not gonna rat him out because he's one of us like everyone's on the boat of like yeah let's rat this guy out so we can get back i think everybody is well there but there's also like a folk hero aspect to this keep that in mind when he's getting his photos taken and the guy comes in wants his autograph so he is i mean he's based on a jamaican folk hero Mm -hmm. yes of i raging i think is the name uh yeah it's it's funny because reading kind of i was reading something about like yeah it's like loosely based on it except he wasn't really into music and didn't sell drugs i'm like those are two major aspects of this movie <laughs> uh yeah it's it, it's certainly complicated because yeah i guess not everyone's in line of like selling him out and again being in the slums kind of you don't want to be the snitch 
especially in right. that sort of scenario. But I was like, ah, oh, you're everyone's miserable. <laughs> just somebody just get rid of him somehow. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, and it's, I think this movie's also showing police corruption. Oh, you know, yeah. you, you almost believe at first, I think from the demeanor of him and the concern for his informant, you almost believe that the detective's a really good guy at yes. first. And then yeah. it's clear that he's working with the ganja dealers, that he's deliberately looking the other way mm-hmm. um, and letting things go on. Just it's to kind of help keep peace in the city and that they're probably working with him to some degree to keep things from getting out of hand. Yeah. And, and Ivan almost gets thrown into prison simply because Jose's like, well, he's not really playing ball. Let's, yeah. you know, let's have him get thrown in prison for a couple of days. He'll, he'll kind of catch the drift and then we'll keep going. And of course that sets off a whole chain of events involving right. murder. Right. Well, yeah, because then Ivan has flashbacks when they're trying to pull him over. He's got flashbacks to getting caned yeah, and right. the humiliation of it and the pain, and he's just like, "Nope, gonna shoot this motorcycle cop instead." So yep. one of the one of the criticisms I've read about this movie, um, and this is this movie is very fairly well critically liked, uh, but a lot of things I read in like YouTube comments and, and IMDb reviews, and a lot of people say like. Well, why does Ivan shoot the first cop? Like, like none of the deaths in this movie are necessary. Uh, and I think that first death, as Nicole mentioned, he has this kind of, like, gut reaction flashback to, like, they're going to hurt me. Like, right? They're going to hurt me. I have a gun on me. I'm just going to do this. And you can tell he's a little shook, little shook by it. Uh, the, th- the subsequent three deaths, maybe four, we're never really certain whether or not the woman dies. Um... Seem to so I just think they be, say that she's wounded. Wounded, yeah. Seem to just be more of a fantasy playing out in his mind. Uh, because I did want to mention, um, you know, at the beginning of this movie, he is taken by Jose to go to the movies. And Jose takes him... Is it Jose that takes him? I think it is. Yes. Okay, Jose, Jose takes him to go to the movies. They go see a Western gunslinger movie. And, it's you know, it's the kind of thing where they take their, their guns and they, like push them in front of them and shoot them with both hands. Like it's a terrible way to shoot a gun. And, uh, and that's what he does the entire film there forward when he's using guns, because in his mind, he is this, you know, hero gunslinger fighting, you know, the fighting the man. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a alternate him than just him shooting the first time. The first time is out of necessity because he's scared. The rest of the times are because he's now living this fantasy where now that he's killed somebody, he thinks it's cool to just keep doing it. Yeah, he's an outlaw. He's gonna... He's got an image to maintain. Yes, he has right, an image yeah. to maintain. One of my cool favorite one scenes one. in this movie Stay is cool. the... um is the the photography scene because it is so vain it is so yeah. so, so so it's great vain. though in its weird way it's great it's those, yeah, those it, are like it, the it classic press shots is where he's like jumping and spreading his legs and stuff uh and he sends I, it like he sends it to the you know <laughs> to the, the newspapers hoping I love, they'll run it i love too that he there's that guy who comes in and he like brings him in and the guy realizes who he is he's like oh man you got a pen? I want an autograph. Right. Like you don't get the sense that like the 
the photographer is ever going to like tell the police or anything that hey this guy was here right it's there, there is kind of, there is that very much like folk hero aspect of like oh man isn't it so cool this outlaw everyone's looking for is right here in the room with us which is also right. kind of sad because he's killing a bunch of mostly innocent people like i understand that, that yeah. the cops the, that the police force as a whole in jamaica at the time was immensely corrupt as was the government uh but like Dude, you're you're transporting illegal drugs. If he stops you, it's not his fault. And that one guy was, you know, yeah, looking to arrest him for false reasons. But he, we never got the sense that he was going to do anything particularly terrible to Ivan. He right. was just like, I, just take in. yeah, it's like I don't want to get caned again. Bang. And that final scene when Ivan decides to have his showdown, his Butch Cassidy esque showdown with the police uh he has a moment where he's you know he's shooting and then it cuts back to the people laughing in the theater and like cheering in the theater like they're watching the western gunslinger movie and then it cuts back yeah. to him shooting and then he just gets annihilated like i was telling nicole in the pre-show it's like if butch cassidy lasted another two frames they just show uh, it to you but it's perfect that it doesn't and it kind of is because he, he hits the floor, movie, movie ends. Yeah. Like hits <laughs> yeah. the floor, reggae starts. There's an ass shaking on screen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like that. It just we don't see the fallout of uh, of what happens after he dies. Like we see the entirety of his time uh, from you know when his life changes in a dramatic way to his death. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and I, and I love that ending though because that is kind of proof in visual form that that's what's in his mind the whole time is I want to be this, you know, badass outlaw, uh, which is sad you know, because I, he'll probably just immediately be forgotten. I kind of wonder if he's, if he's really thinking, you know, uh, I would rather die than be brought in by these guys. Um, or if he's, if some part of him is thinking like he's going to be like the hero in the Western where there's like 85 guys against him and yet he makes it. Oh, he totally thinks that. He's, like, asking them, like, one of them to come up and gunsling him. And, of course, they all just shoot him. But you're absolutely right. Like, he, I think it is that. I think he actually does believe he can arise as a hero out of this. Because why well, else would he, he walk check out and he's out of he's out of bullets before that happens as well? I think he's, from my perspective, he was just resigned to his fate. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out as an outlaw as the cool guy and like i love how he's like send your best guy to draw and like all the police are still just advancing on him together and i love that yeah. they tell him <laughs> like yeah. there's a great We're dialogue between you. him and the police or like what, what do they say they say like advance forward or something like that. And he's like okay <laughs> uh yeah you get you, you definitely get the mentality that the jamaican military slash police force in this movie is not terribly organized <laughs> No, although they, you know, they do manage to pull it off. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this whole story, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy in a way. You know, it unfolds like when the guys, Ivan isn't in town. He's in town less than five minutes before one guy steals everything he owns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty great. But kind of like set the set the tone of I'm a country boy here in the city and got fleeced the first second that I turned my back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. I guess there's probably a variation in his accent because everybody knows instantly that he's, he's from, from the country. country. Mm-hmm. I uh, think yeah, there's some. Um... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. 
Uh, I was gonna say it's like there's there are uh, certain animes that I've watched where they're like you know it takes place in Tokyo and like oh you're from Osaka but based on like the way that you talk I'm like how could you what <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've I've come across that in some Korean dramas too they're like oh my god where are you yeah. from you're based way on your breeze. accent yeah I, I think there's also a point in this movie uh, and I, I want to f- phrase this as eloquently as I can where. Uh, a lot of people in the U.S., for example, when you look at gang violence or drug trade or something like that, like, let's take the South Side of Chicago, because that's something I'm familiar with. I live here in Chicago. Some people look at the South Side, and they're like, oh, they're just a bunch of gangbangers out to kill everybody. Well, it's like, oh, no, if you understood the community, you'd understand that there's not a lot of opportunity in the community, there's not a lot of jobs in the community, there's not a lot of support, there's not good schools, there's not upward mobility in any capacity, and a lot of the time, in order to be safe and slash or not die, uh, you join a gang. And that is a systemic social problem that's a lot deeper than just, like, there's gangs killing people. It's like, well, their, their community really sucks. Um, and and you really get in this movie that these a lot of these guys are not violent. Exactly, they are a lot of them are really not their... bad people. They just want to sling pot, uh, which yeah, frankly like, is like their nation's the calling thing. card. And I find it ridiculous yeah. that they're so angry about it in this movie. This, uh, this is the work that they can get, and they are keeping their head down. And then this one guy comes in who is part of that crowd, starts stirring up trouble, and it's causing problems for everyone. Exactly. So so to, to parallel that kind of to what I was talking about the South Side, it's that, uh, you know, in Jamaica... Well, he, he, he goes and he tries to make a record. Uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really have uh, any clout with Hilton. He can't make any money with Hilton. Uh, he goes and he tries to work at, at the construction yard. They won't take him because he's not skilled. Keep in mind, he's not skilled because the community that he's grown up and lived in has not prepared him to be skilled in any capacity. So that's not necessarily his fault. Uh, and then he goes around, literally just kind of resorts to begging. It's like, hey, I'll wash your car. Hey, I'll do all these things for you. And that's all before he starts just stealing stuff and doing bad things. And I think there's a parallel to be made there because uh, when you have a community like these, you know, parts of Kingston that are so bad, it's not necessarily all these people slinging drugs and doing stuff, you know, against the law are bad people or are doing something horrific. It's just like, what else do you do? Like, how do you, how else do you live? And I think that that's a parallel to be made, especially with like gang violence and urban, you know, urban decay of America. And I think this movie handles it very well with Jamaica. No, I think you're right. Now, uh, a couple other things I want to talk about this movie. Drugs in Jamaica, we kind of already talked about that. I I think it's just funny. Like, it's not like they're, like, slinging heroin. (laughs) Come on. It's, it's, and uh, didn't Jamaica legalize pot at some point? Like, isn't it legal there? Oh, I've got no idea. Is pot legal in Jamaica? This has got to be a frequently Googled thing, right? Google that, and then Brett, ten minutes later, plane tickets to Jamaica. Why am I on a list? (laughs) <laughs> I don't live in Colorado anymore. Um, Jamaica's legislator voted... Oh, okay. So you can essentially do um, possession up to two ounces. Anything more is a is a petty offense, and it will not result in a criminal record. So it's basically like like similar laws to our decriminalization in certain states. Um, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so I find that very interesting in this movie because they treat it like they're like, they're the traders. It's all the trade. It's like, it's pot. 
It's pot. Yeah. Uh, it just goes to show how different drug culture is now. Um, and then another thing we have in our docket here is how time flows in this movie. This is something from Nicole. What would you like to talk about with that? Oh, I just, I found it, the first time I watched this, I found it really disorienting. Either um, everything happens within six months or about five days. Really hard to tell. Possibly no, three years? Don't know. Yeah, or right. possibly years, right? Because there's a point where, where Elsa is just living with him in this rundown spot and she's going out and trying to get work and he's hustling around thinking he's a big record producer. That could have been like a year from the point that the preacher kicked her out. Yeah, they really don't do a very good job. And again, this these are inexperienced storytellers, I think, for yes. for this medium. So it can it can be excused. But yeah, you say you have no idea how long anything's been happening for. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's, I think the biggest part of it was the funding. You know, they couldn't shoot it all in a row um, because it was scrape up some money, shoot some scenes, run out of money, stop, you know, several months later, scrape up some money, shoot some scenes, have to stop. And so editing it was tricky. I mean, they had, I think Perry, Perry Hensel had a, a, the good, good ideas for a story. And the other writer, um, Trevor Roan was a, a respected playwright in Jamaica and so he was he was brought in you know he's uh, a man of african descent so there's you know there i'm i'm grateful that there's a writer involved who's not white um to this to this film and it's and again he let you know uh henzel let the actors add some things as well but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I'm not sure how they could have made it less choppy. I think, I suspect that Henzel had to take the the editing time where he could. And they just, right. he had ideas of, I think he prefers to make sure he's got the imagery he wants than for it to make chronological sense. Absolutely. And there's even jarring cuts and scenes where you can tell that like, there was like 10 minutes in between two seconds of dialogue yeah. where they like repurpose the camera, like put the camera in a different spot and they're kind of in a different light now. And it just cuts to like a different like person wearing talking. a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was the best thing in the special features that, that chase where Ivan's chasing Jose mm-hmm. through the, the slum area. They only had one gun that day. Really? <sighs> so okay. they're never, if you look carefully, they're never in a two shot. Oh, that makes sense. Each of them has a gun in their individual shots, mm-hmm. but they only had the one. So they had to share it. They had to like, one guy would have it and then he'd like throw it over the cameraman's head. Oh, that's amazing. The other guy. I love it. That is so <laughs> I love it. We need to watch in, in international film week, maybe like a, a couple rotations from now. I'll pick a uh, El, uh, El Mariachi. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is guerrilla nice. filmmaking. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. another heavy there's, guerrilla filmmaking film. I think there's also, this movie is maybe, 10 to 15 minutes too long. I think you could have cut yes. out 10 yes, to 15 is. minutes you of this could. movie very easily. I think that doesn't really help because you have just these scenes that kind of drag on mm-hmm. and, you know, take place kind of all in one moment. And then the next scene, it's like, wait, did like six weeks just pass? How, how right. long have we been here? And it, it really yeah. doesn't give you a good sense of time at all. I completely agree. 
another quick thing about the gorilla nature of this movie. The blood. Uh, <laughs> something David put in our docket. I'm glad he did because I would have forgotten it. In the scene where, uh, you know, Ivan, Ivan, Ivan goes to get his bike, which was originally the preacher's bike, and then he fixed it, and then he just assumed it was kind of his because the preacher didn't want it anymore. He goes back to the man it he used to work preacher's for. Preacher's bike frame. for Bike frame, correct, because he paid $6 to get the wheels. Yeah. And, uh, and he's not going to give it back to him. And they fight. <laughs> With knives they, and a like, broken a knife glass. and a broken bottle, yes. And it, yeah, it gets like a, it gets intense, and then, then there's blood on the knife, and it's like, oh, that is some um, red paint that you just dipped that knife into, and then it's like the guy's get, getting cut, and it's like he's holding his hands up to his face, and there's just more of that. I, it looked like to me red paint. I don't know what they used. It looks, but so it was bad. just. I agree. <laughs> it, it's yeah. very gloppy and very bright. <laughs> And yes. it's yeah, it's totally it's like not even film. the same color as blood. No, no, not, there's not. a slightly pinkish orange tinge to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little pink for sure. Uh, but it definitely you get that sense of like, well, what do we have on hand? Right. Uh, yeah, like what uh, do we got? Uh, the thread uh, thrown on his face. And right. there's too it's, much of it. Yeah. There's way too much of it. It's like it gets yeah. to the point where he's and like, they a had giant zero money on his hands. Yeah, yeah, clearly they had zero money for makeup effects because he, the guy just covers his face with his hands. Right, they so don't you don't see you any knife like wounds. That's... Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. and, and that is such a uncomfortably like long scene where it gets to the point where the guy's just on his knees and Ivan's just slashing yeah. his face saying, Does you know, don't Ivan act with me. kill him or just cut him up? I don't so. think he kills him. I think he cuts him and then the, and then the, the, the unseen but heard judicial power determines that yes. he has he is redeemable so first yeah. yeah he's redeemable so but they only not. give him eight lashes they make him irredeemable <laughs> yeah. uh yeah the blood is very very diy um but it's also like kind of it's it's kind of the the straw that breaks the camel's back a little bit that maybe gives him the guts to pull a gun on a guy later when he's on when he's on the moped <laughs> Um, well, I don't think it's, I mean, it's, it's partly the pain, I think. I mean, I've been, I've, been, I haven't been switched in that sense, but like I've either accidentally or like horseplay when I was a kid been hit by sticks fairly hard. And that can, that really hurts. That oh, can yeah. hurt very intensely. Mm-hmm. And especially if they're applying multiple strokes to the same spot, you can easily end up drawing blood and it's humiliating. You yeah, know, he, I, he pees himself. He can't he yeah. can't help it. I had a, a friend and I found a couple of fencing foils once and ooh, the welts that we had on our arms for <sighs> a couple of days after and that wasn't like even like full strength, one of us standing still, the other whacking them. So I'm Yeah, there's I, a reason those jackets are so heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that see, that's one of those things where they they didn't have makeup effects, so they don't show you really the caning. They just kind of show the guy wringing his arm back and then like uh, Ivan peeing himself. And that is really effective because yeah. the mind is filling in the blanks where if they hadn't showed him slashing the guy, if they just shown Ivan standing over slashing the guy instead of cutting to him, like his face covered in the goop, <laughs> uh, I think it would have, it would have been way more effective because we can't see what's happening, but we just see him swinging a knife back and forth and like our head's going to fill in like, oh, that's uh, terrible and horrifying. 
Yeah, there there are definitely some moments of exploitation in this movie. There are some, you know, there's there's unnecessary blood. There's really unnecessary nipple shots of some of the women in this movie. Yes, yes, there yeah. are. <laughs> so uh, it's like, wow, that's an interesting angle you've got the camera at. That's yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, as we begin the wrap down, uh, some closing thoughts from everybody. One thing I did briefly want to mention, uh, I, I should have mentioned it when we were talking about how religion ties into this movie, is I think it's important to note, and this film toys with it a little bit, is that reggae and religion in in Jamaica are so intertwined to the nth degree. Uh, I mean, just to, just to emphasize that... Um, you know, Rastafarianism, they believe that there was a man named Haile Selassie, and Haile Selassie was essentially what Rastafarians believe as the second coming of Christ. Uh, well, he was there the, was a man named Haile Selassie. No, there it's was, yeah. I'm the saying belief that, like, is that he was the second right, coming. Right, the belief is that he was the Messiah return. And when, when Haile, you know, Haile, Haile died later on, but when Bob Marley died about a decade later, they buried Bob Marley in Selassie's ring, which is like the equivalent of of like a Christian being buried with like, you know, the with like a piece of the a cross, piece of the true cross or, kind right, of thing. or like, or like, or like the crown or something like that, you know, it, or, or the, or, you know, the goblet of, I was about to say the goblet of fire, the, go- <laughs> the, the goblet <laughs> of fire Is that what you're gonna say? from Harry Potter. Gonna- no, but like, well, like they're like Christ's grail. It's like being buried with Christ's grail. Um, so that just shows like how amazingly intertwined they were. And I think that this movie does a pretty good job at showing Americans that and showing that, you know, close divide with those because this is their gospel music. And that's another thing that appeals to me about reggae is that when I, I love Bob Marley, don't get me wrong. I think Bob Marley put out some of the greatest records of the seventies and eighties. Uh, I think Bob Marley too often gets boiled down to like two or three pot songs and a bunch of potheads screen print him on t-shirts that they sell in record shops and they only know those two or three songs. But you look at the rest mm-hmm. of his catalog and you look at people like Jimmy Cliff and other people in the reggae industry, this was gospel music. Like this was gospel music. It was civil rights music. And that's, what's really appealing to me about it is because growing up in white suburbia, I never heard anything else besides like one love, you know, like there's so much more <laughs> to it than that. And, well, uh, and I think this movie shows you that. And we talked a little bit uh, earlier, you mentioned Johnny Cash, and there's kind of a little bit, I think, of a parallel there, because mm-hmm. when Johnny Cash uh, started out, he learned how to sing from, like, hymnals and, you know, in the church. Uh, and that's, you know, for a lot of those, like, country folk guys kind of at that time, that their, their roots also started in religion as well. A thousand well, percent. like how Aretha Franklin and Sissy mm-hmm. Houston got started. Yep. A thousand percent, even in direct ties, you know, in, in, in an interview uh, maybe five, six years ago, you know, someone was talking to Jimmy Page about where he started playing guitar. He started playing guitar in the church. Uh, that is the natural progression for a lot of American musicians in the 20th century. And, uh, and as a result, even music made today is at least influenced by people that were influenced by the church. Uh, and you yeah. see that in well, Jamaica. There's a beautiful gospel song in here that's not a traditional one, and it's it's one of Jimmy Cliff's when he's singing. Or is it? Do you many know? Rivers is it an original? Did he? Is "Many Rivers to Cross" that is his a original traditional song. song, or did he write it? I think it's his original song. Many rivers. And keep in mind, one thing I do want to mention, in case I haven't really made made it clear, is that, uh, yeah, he did write it. He wrote it. Okay. Um, is that like every single 
uh, song in this movie, aside from the one point that the other guys are in the studio, um, mm-hmm. is him. So like when they're li- when you're hearing music and then all of a sudden it cuts to like a radio and they're actually listening to that music on the radio in the shot, it's still him. Uh, I think largely that is due to um, to to licensing budget in budget. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you many rivers to cross. I mean, one of my favorite yeah. renditions of that is Harry Nielsen. Like Harry Nielsen, very white guy, uh, just took that song and brought it into his own gospel style. Uh, but every, you know, everybody's done that song. John Lennon did that song. When John Lennon covers you, you know you had a good song. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I love that. It's my favorite song in the film, mm-hmm. you know, and it's showing when he's he's going out looking for work. You know, he's been to the construction site and they've turned him away because he's not skilled labor. And he's like wandering this, um, you know, like middle class slash upper class neighborhood. And he's, you know, asking this lady for work and, you know, just discouraged, but still trying. And many rivers to cross starts and it pulls back to this beautiful big shot of this high toned neighborhood and him in his one outfit that he owns. Right kind of scraggly and run down wandering through this this wealth and when it's just beautiful 100 percent. and when cliff recorded the song which was actually recorded in 69 and then redone and released with the soundtrack for this movie uh he used an organ for that reason the the most key element of many rivers to cross on the original recording is that organ and that harkens right back to that gospel because one thing to keep in mind is that jamaican dialogue is that creole style is translating from right off the coast right there louisiana and new orleans so if you go and and speak to people you know who are lifelong new orleans you know creole uh, african-americans they might sound a lot like that. And uh, in fact, in New Orleans, uh, I can't remember which way it is, but in New Orleans and Jamaica, you can pick up each other's radio. So a lot of the time, what was played on one of those that the other people heard. So as a result from that, a lot of New Orleans artists were hearing reggae, which is why you see people like Dr. John and stuff infusing a lot of reggae. And on the flip side of that, you hear a lot of Jamaicans infusing a lot of gospel music. So there you go. It all goes around and comes around. Yeah, I mean, the the music really accents certain moments in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts out with, um, you can get it if you really want. And that's his, his optimism as he's arriving in the city. And then you hear it again um, as he's being introduced to selling drugs. So it's like his new his new phase of life. And then one again, last time. Yeah, when he's driving the car on the golf course, gets it one more, once <laughs> what a more. Bizarre scene. I love that scene. I I put that That's... in our Slack. That like nothing is so like quintessentially happy than this like, like like trigger happy man who doesn't understand it, how to drive. Just it shows floating yeah. around the golf course. It shows where he got to where he was like, I want to do this. I'm gonna do it. Like he just kind of felt entitled to yes. partake in any of his whims. Yeah, that's also, something that the director insisted on putting into the movie. He said there had to be a moment where he wins. You know, mm. you can't, he says, you can't get interested in a character who's always a loser. He has to win, even if for a moment. So. Right. I agree. And, I agree. 
next week, Cool Runnings. No, I'm kidding. Uh, very different Jamaican in that movie, yeah. though. I think it's going to be a little easier to understand. By the way, can I just say Cool Runnings is a great movie? I'm just going to throw that out there as long as it's it is in a my great head. movie. I love Cool Runnings. Vote for Cool Runnings. And uh, you did this to us. Uh, uh, don't give yeah. it. Let them come up with stuff on their own. Oh, I will. And we'll see cool what it brings us like last time. And you know what? As we reach the end of the show, uh, I, uh, first of all, David Nicole, closing thoughts. Uh, I'll just go. Mine's pretty quick. It It's one of those films that I think does have significance, um, but it's not one I could recommend to most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think film buffs, very specific film buffs, even not people who casually describe themselves as film buffs. Uh, and also people like, like you, Brett, who have this very deep appreciation for music history, uh, I think would really get a lot out of this movie. Um, but I would have a really hard time saying to uh, family members who, you know, like really just like war movies and action films, be like, hey, check out this independent Jamaican film from the 70s. I agree. Yeah. Nicole. Um, yeah, I can kind of go along with that. I mean, it is. I think also if you're just in a in a laid back mood, um, this is a movie you can you can put on if you're willing to. Like I said, you know, just just roll with it. Just roll with it. Just let it come at you and take it in and enjoy the music and the energy of it. Um, but also, if you're a serious film person or if you're a serious music lover and you appreciate all genres of music and music history, then absolutely. And especially if you're a reggae fan. If you're a reggae fan, this is essential viewing. Agreed. I would also go as far to say, if you were like me, when I saw this film freshman year of high school, uh, not high school, college. So it's been about four years since I last saw it. Uh, And I knew nothing about reggae and didn't really understand reggae. And then a disc jockey here in the city, uh, my much beloved Terry Hemmert, handed me like the soundtrack to this movie when I was explaining to her that I didn't really get reggae. And she's like, just listen to this and then go watch the movie. And I got it. Uh, and maybe that's because I have a background of loving civil rights music and loving folk music and gospel music. Cause there's a lot of that in here. But if you're struggling to find a place in reggae, that's not Bob Marley. Uh, again, no, nothing against Bob Marley, but if you want to go in a different direction, that's a little bit more accessible in some ways. Uh, check this movie out. This is going to give you a little crash course and not just reggae music, but kind of the culture behind it, at least in the 70s. Uh, that's going to do it for myself, for David and Nicole. Now, next week, we are going to be back with You Did This To Us. That, of course, uh, spurred Dunstan checks in last uh, cycle. And we don't know what it's, it's going to spur yet because we are recording that two weeks from the time we're recording this, meaning that when this comes out, it'll be on our Facebook, on our Twitter, and in the very show notes of the episode you're listening to right now. So you will know what we are watching. It's probably going to be garbage. <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> who knows? You did this to us. Maybe someone will come up with something really interesting. I remember, I, I'm going to call it out here on the show, because uh, I love him dearly, and I want to bring him on this show. Uh, Dominic Chikoki, uh, you know, host of Silver Screens and Politics and Me, and a longtime uh, uh, guest on Geek Cinema. He was so frustrated. He was like, there were so many good movies on that list that he wanted you guys, wanted us to watch, and we watched Dunstan Checks In. 
Uh, I believe there's a Japanese film in there he really wanted I us to watch. I told you that's how you did this to us is going to work. That is how it's going to work. <laughs> I warned all of you. So do it to us. Whatever you want to hit us up with, we're going to get into it. And then that will be the end of the second rotation. We'll be moving into the third rotation then, where we'll start off with some brand new films. David, where can people find you online? I actually skipped that. (laughs) People can find me on the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, heckyeahcomics.com, or Heck Yeah Comics, wherever podcasts are found. Also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. You can find me around the internet under the user's name Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. And you have a big interview coming up here on Heck Yeah. Uh, yeah, by the time this comes out, that interview will have been out for a few weeks. But I got to interview John Arcudi, we're going, uh, who is the uh, writer of Rumble and has written um, BPRD and Lobster Johnson and a lot of really great stuff in the past. And uh, we're going to be looking at doing more interviews in the future. I'm going to go ahead and say this one because uh, we're going to be interviewing Meredith McLaren, who is an artist uh, who I've known for many years. I'm very excited about that one. Right on. Very, very cool. Be sure to check that out. Nicole Davis, what do you have going on? Uh, well, you can follow my personal Twitter at, at your word whiz. That's Y-O-U-R-W-H-I-Z. Uh, no, why are you? <laughs> Let's try that again. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, I'm sick. Uh, it's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. Um, and I curate... Uh, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. Um, and I curate our page for our former show that is still available. And that is uh, the Geek Cinema Society, the archive, which is at facebook.com slash Geek Cinema Society, I believe. Right on. Some great write-ups for both shows there. Be sure to check them out and follow them there, especially if you want to be part of voting for weeks like you did this to us. That's our way to get you guys involved. We really want you to be a part of this show and help us uh, ruin, you know, once every five weeks. So <laughs> uh, be involved. Uh, you can find me at brettdavidstewart.com. All the good links are over there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.